The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. My name is Russell Trawick and I am pastor of Christ's Covenant Church in Alvin, Texas. This is an interactive podcast where we welcome questions about theonomy, postmillennialism, covenantalism, presuppositional apologetics, or reformed theology in general. Please don't hesitate to contact us on our Facebook page at Setting the Record Straight or going to the main page, Reconstructionist Radio. Today's podcast is an excerpt from a sermon series I did back in January called An Optimistic View of the Kingdom. It is in part an adaptation also of Gary North's book, Unconditional Surrender, on this topic. And I want to share this with you because I believe this is a one of the biggest issues that affects the church today. If I were to walk into any church of any denomination and have a conversation regarding God's Word, and uh, there would be two sermons I would preach. One would be, what is the gospel? And secondly, would be this sermon an optimistic view of the kingdom. There are some parts I might leave out. There might be some parts that I'd leave a little more vagueness so that I would have a more of a listening audience. But let me share with you a little bit about this and, and why it's so impactful for the church today. We must remember when we talk about having an optimistic view of the kingdom of God, we are discussing an idea of a future reality or eschatology. The word eschatology means the study of last things or end things or last day things. And when we discuss an optimistic view of eschatology, we're talking specifically about postmillennialism. Ken Gentry at his uh, website postmillennialismtoday.com defines this as postmillennialism Postmillennialism holds that the Lord Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom on earth through his preaching and redemptive work in the first century and that he equips his church with the gospel, empowers her by the Spirit, and charges her with the great commission to all to disciple all nations. Postmillennialism expects that eventually the vast majority of men will be saved. Increasing gospel success will gradually produce a a time in history prior to Christ's return in which faith, righteousness, peace, and prosperity will prevail in the affairs of men and nations. After an extensive era of, of such conditions, the Lord will return visibly, bodily, and gloriously to end history with a general resurrection and the final judgment after which the eternal order follows. As we talk about this optimistic view of the kingdom of God, we are also discussing an optimistic view of the church, an optimistic view of the gospel, and an optimistic view uh, of our purpose in Christ Jesus. Without a doubt, there are 
they're, these are all one and the same because they are all at work together. Matthew 13, verses 51 and 52 says, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on the Bible, says he compares them to good to a good householder who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old, fruits of last year's growth and this year's gathering, abundance and variety for the entertainment of his friends. See here, one, what should be a minister's furniture, a treasure of new things new and old. Those who have so many and various occasions have need to stock themselves well in their gathering days with new the truths new and old, out of the Old Testament and out of the New, with ancient and modern improvements, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Old experiences and new observations all have their use, and we must not content ourselves with old discoveries, but must be adding new. Live and learn. Secondly, what use he should make of his furniture, he should bring forth. Laying up is in order to laying out for the benefit of others. Sic vox non vobis. You are to lay up, but not for yourselves. Many are full, but they have no vent. Have a talent, but they bury it. Such are unprofitable servants. Christ himself received that he might give, so must we, and we shall have more. And bringing forth things new and old to do best together. Old truths, but new methods and expressions, especially new affections. So first, I would like to say we are called to store up in order to continually bring out the things of God. That's right, we are called to store up in order to continually bring out the things of God. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 7, 13, it says, The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. We must always store up so that we're not just bringing out so that we're bringing out the old, but we are also bringing out the new with it. Second Timothy three verses sixteen through seventeen says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." We are called to store things up. We're called to store up Scripture. In our hearts, so we might not sin against Him. We're called to store these things up so that in the time of need we might be able to teach, for we might be able to reprove, we might be able to correct, and we can train for the sake of righteousness. In Job chapter 32, verses 15 through 22, it says, They are dismayed, they answer no more, they have not a word to say, and shall I wait because they do not speak? Because they stand there and answer no more? I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent. Like new wineskins ready to burst. 
I must speak that, in my, that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person, for I do not know how to flatter, else my Maker would soon take me away. We, we store up, not so that we can just hold on to it. It's like the wine without a vent. We're about to burst. We're supposed to bring forth these things that God has stored up within us. And so when it comes to uh, our view of the kingdom of God, our view of the kingdom of God ends up directing our purpose. Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. First, I would like to say many people have an improper view of the church as the last outpost. And as I told you as I began this podcast, there will be some areas that I borrow from Gary North and his book, Unconditional Surrender. I'm unapologetic about it, but I want you to listen carefully at this long quote, but it's a necessary quote. I want you to listen to everything he has to say here. Gary North says, There are too many Christians who have read Christ's statement about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. They have interpreted these words as if Christ had said, And the gates of the church shall prevail against hell. They think of Satan as a captain of an invading army, and we are faithfully defending God's fortress. We expect to see our supplies cut off, we, expre- we expect a rationing of water. We expect to see our comrades picked off by the sharpshooters in Satan's vast army. But at the end, we know that the gates of the church shall prevail. The shrinking boundaries of Christ's kingdom shall not be reduced to nothing. We know that at the moment when all seems lost, Christ will come riding up on a white horse with a main army. We, hear, we will hear the trumpet-sounding charge just before the satanic invaders bash down the gates. That will show them. They will snatch defeat from the jaws of victory while we will snatch the victory from the jaws of defeat. Who is we in this reworked parable? What have we accomplished? So we have held the fort. The little pieces of earth that flies the flag of Jesus will have been defended. Big deal. What God told Adam to do, and what he told Noah to do, was to extend his kingdom over the face of the earth. He announced our full responsibility in this dominion assignment. Christ came down as our supreme allied commander and announced, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and... Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's in Matthew 28, 18-20. So what are we proud of? That we defended the outpost? That we were willing to fight to the last man? That we kept Christ's flag from being torn down by Satan's host? We, meaning Christian living in t- Christians living in time and on earth, are the victors? In what sense? 
We stood firm, of course, and were almost wiped out. We advanced nothing, extended nothing, and were nearly overrun. Why? We did why? We didn't even do as good a job as the Israelites did in Canaan. They were told to wipe out the Canaanites, but were only able to drive out some of them. And we will supposedly be found on that day as the Hebrews found the Canaanites holding down the fort with our feet planted by the walls of the tiny town, doing our best to keep from being overrun and praying fervently for God's supernatural troops to show up and deliver us from the imminent defeat, the last defeat. But let's not give up. The gates of the church will prevail against hell to the ramparts, boys, and don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. Don't give up, boys. There will be medals of honor for all of us when Jesus comes with the main army. Medals of honor? Indeed? For whom? For a bunch of insubordinates? For a bunch of fearful incompetents who shoot themselves in the foot every third volley? For defending the last outpost from an attack from all directions when they were ordered to advance in all directions? The modern church sees itself as the reserves. The main army is in heaven, and we're the reserves, fighting to defend, to defend Christ's fort. Why Christ is waiting to send in the main troops isn't clear. Reserves are notoriously incompetent. The army calls them up and sends them in to hold on until the main troops can be assembled, armed, and sent into the fray. The reserves have to hold on until the main army comes. You can't expect much from the reserves after all. Nobody ever does. All they can do is hold out until relief comes. Well, I'm reminded what 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 5 through 14 tells us. He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and of your, uh, your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard into that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You see, the church is not to have a defensive posture. We are not waiting for God to show up in the nick of time, just as Satan and his followers are about to break down the gates and conquer us. We don't have a spirit of fear, of weakness and defeat, but we have a spirit of power, of love and self-control. 
Secondly, the proper view of the kingdom is that the church has been given the dominion mandate magnified. Yes, the dominion mandate in Genesis 1 he gave to Adam. He told them, God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And after the fall of Adam and Eve, we find that uh, we brings us to God and, and with Noah. And as he walks off the ark... He, he renews this same dominion mandate in Genesis chapter 9. And it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In the same way, he has given them this responsibility to, to take dominion. He told them that the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, every bird, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they will be delivered. But when I say it's the dominion mandate magnified, we find in that great commission that we heard Gary North state in his quote, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, or teaching them to obey, all that I have commanded you. See, the church is not an accident. The church is God's main army, not His reserves. The church is God's main army, not Reserves. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belts of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil, ones, and evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He didn't tell us to go wrap ourselves in our blankets. He did not tell us to go and wrap ourselves up in our good feelings and, and hide behind the gates of the church. What He called us to do is put on the full armor of God and be ready not only to stand, but advance. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3-6 through 6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Yes, we're not called to be the last outpost, to be the last stronghold. We're not supposed to wait around until the main army comes. We are the main army. And He's called us to to take our weapons of warfare and be ready to advance and destroy strongholds. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 says, Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are called to, to set our minds constantly on the things of Him and where He is leading. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 16 13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. We are not to have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline, self-control. See, the church is not only called as God's main army and not reserves, but the church is also called to storm the gates of hell. That's right. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is why it is wrong to think that the gates of, of the church will prevail against hell. The church is not trying to hold back the army of Satan, but we are storming the gates of hell. What the scripture tells us is that the gates of hell cannot hold out the army of the living God. The gates of hell cannot hold back the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, all of us, are very well aware of this. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The reason why our cities and our communities and workplaces, etc., are still outposts of Satan, is because Christians are not willing, are not being Christ's followers, but insubordinates. We refuse to storm the gates of hell, and we refuse to do it God's way through the proclamation of the gospel. Gary North in his book says, The church, ever since the day of Pentecost, has been the invading army. The church is the main army. The reserves are in heaven, waiting to deliver the final crushing blow to Satan's forces. Angels serve men. We shall judge the angels according to 1 Corinthians 6.3. We are made in the image of God. The angels aren't. We were assigned the dominion work, not the angels. We are attacking Satan's territory, not the other way around. Satan is trying to hold down the fort, not us. We know his fort will not prevail in the final day. We will have Satan's troops bottled up inside that fort just before Satan tries one last counterattack when the angels come to bring final judgment on this world. God's angels do the final mop-up operation. The basis of victory will already have been established. The preaching of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the enforcement of His kingdom's peace treaty, nation by nation, one by one. We must stop believing Satan's lie that the church isn't God's main army while here on earth. 
The church triumphant in heaven cannot help those of us who remain. The church is God's only plan. Christ is waiting for the church to surround Satan's last outpost. Christ is waiting for the work of the leaven to replace Satan's leaven in the dough of creation. Gary goes on to say, the terms of surrender are ethical. The offer of salvation is not being made to Satan's angelic host, but to his earthly troops. And Christians are steadily seeing the defeat of Satan's human forces, for Satan suffers continual defections, as the power of the gospel increases its zone of sovereign mastery, even more will defect. He will have only the remnants of an army when the final trumpet sounds, and he will be trying to hold down the fort in the last outpost. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. One of my favorite passages to read all too often is used in the improper place. It's not, it's used in funeral services. It's called the 23rd Psalm. But the 23rd Psalm to me is a psalm for Christian living, not for the dead. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of His shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're not afraid of our enemies. We are not to withdraw back into our holy huddles and believe that we are fulfilling the kingdom purpose that God has given us. No, we are not called to be the last outpost while all the other churches pass away and all the other denominations fall. No, we are not called to be such people. We are called to be a people that leave the outpost, find the strongholds of Satan, and storm the gates of hell. I'm going to leave this here this morning, or today, and I want to share this with you. One of my favorite songs growing up as a kid It's one of my favorite songs because it's a song, it's a little odd, it's a little uh, in the tune, but the words speak power, speak the power of God and the, the power of God that His people carry with them as they bring the gospel to the dark places of this world. As we take outpost by outpost as we take gate by gate 
as Satan's forces continually defect time and time again. Let me share you this in closing this morning. It's my favorite, one of my favorite songs. It's called Onward Christian Soldiers. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe forward into battle. See his banners go. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. What the saints established, that I hold for true. What the saints believed, that I believe too. Long as earth endureth, men of faith will hold. Kingdoms, nations, empires in destruction rolled. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish. Kingdoms rise and wane. But the church of Jesus constant will remain gates of hell can never against the church prevail we have christ's own promise and that cannot fail onward christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of jesus going on before onward then ye people join our happy throng blend your with your eyes your voices in the triumph song Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. I pray this finds you in a place of victory, and I pray that it challenges you to step out of the outpost, not waiting for the next person to come along and do what God has called you to do, believer. Go today as the army of the living God and let's storm the gates of hell together. God bless you and yours. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, 
then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.